God's not trying to work with four people or four families or four towns or four counties or states or nations. He's got the, the whole world. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today is Eric. Morning. And Tracy. Good morning. And Karen. Hello. Good morning. So before we get started today, I wanted to clue everybody into a new Bible tool that I have had uh, put in front of my face here recently. This is really cool. It's a free app for your phone. Well, it's you can get a free app. There's, a, there's also a, a pay version of it, but the free one is pretty good. It's called Accordance. A-C-C-O-R-D-A-N-C-E. Accordance. And it is, um, if any people are familiar with the concept of a concordance, which is essentially every single uh, word in the Bible put down in almost like a dictionary form, and you can you can look up any word, see where it's found in the Bible, and then there's also, you can look at the Greek and Hebrew meanings of those words. Well, accordance uh, does that for your phone, where you can put, pull up the Bible. Uh, I don't remember what translation it is. And you can literally just click on any word in the Bible and hold your finger on it, and it will give you the uh, original language and meaning for that word. And it is really cool, really easy to use. And I've used it a couple times. Usually I have a gigantic green book that I lug out uh, that a pastor gave to me back when I was a kid and, and was considering going into ministry. And uh, this little phone app is uh, a whole lot easier to use. So, uh, but it's called Accordance, and uh, if uh, if that if that floats your boat, I would uh, I'd recommend it because I think it's a it's a pretty cool tool. I like I always like the new the new tools that we have at our disposal. With that, let's get into our discussion for today. We are talking about the book of Habakkuk. That's a fun word to say, Habakkuk. It just sounds like something stuck in your throat, maybe a little bit. I don't know. Now, Habakkuk, let's see. We've got to look at it into the context of where we are, of course. We've been talking about the dismantling of the the old nation of Israel, including Israel and Judah now. As Judah has been taken apart by Babylon, Israel was taken apart by Assyria before. And we've been walking through uh, the books of Jeremiah and Isaiah and all these other prophets that have been predicting the downfall of of the nation. And most recently, we've been hearing about how Babylon was going to be coming in and has been coming in and taking down Judah. And so we have this prophet Habakkuk, who is, uh, sounds like he was probably alive about the same time as Jeremiah, towards the end of the kingdom of, of Judah. And so he's got this small little book that uh, it's one of those that you flip back past several times before you find it because it's it's only three chapters. It's really it's a really short book, but it is I thought it was kind of just jam packed full of some really deep thoughts. But I also found this book to be almost a little difficult to read, especially in the New King James. And I had to pull out my my NIV to get a little better insight on it. And I wish I had done that a little sooner because uh, some of the, the wording in it, he uses a lot more uh, 
alliteration, I thought, than than some of the others. And uh, he doesn't really have a narrative here. It's kind of a it's kind of a discussion back and forth between him and God. So a little bit like some of the other prophets we've we've looked at before. And it starts out with a question from Habakkuk to God, which is essentially uh, the age old question. Why are you allowing such evil things to happen, God? You know, there's violence and iniquity and there's trouble and there's plundering. And why are you allowing this? What did you guys I mean, how, how, what did you guys think about this back and forth? that was going on between him and God, and especially maybe Habakkuk's initial take on things. I think it was heartfelt. That's the first thing that, that came to my mind when I was reading it. Mm -hmm. It was kind of, you know, and I think Karen kind of hit on it when we first uh, started this morning is, you know, could it be just like our day and age and, just not really knowing what's going on or how to feel or how to take it, just really in the valley. Yeah, and um, so so for our our audience, the, before we started recording, I was like, was this written this year? But anyway, that's that was what that was. Um, verse two actually reminded me of Revelation. This mm. how long, O Lord? So it kind of you know like we're all saying, it's kind of like the eternal cry of love life on earth. Like we've got a mess going on, and it's so far beyond our ability to comprehend. Can't you just do something? You know. Mm -hmm. So NIV uses a phrase here, and well, and in, in, uh, New King James said the law. How does put? Therefore, the law is powerless. And they're talking about how it's. You know, all this violence being allowed and going on. And uh, NIV said the law is paralyzed. What did you think of that phrase in this context? You know, I mean, we could read this. And one of the intros to one of the study aids that I use says that Habakkuk was written actually kind of before Babylon rolled in and did all this. And the context is that God is showing Habakkuk this is going to happen because that's a phrase that kind of comes up a few times in Habakkuk, which is like, it's going to happen. Doesn't look like it's going to happen, but it will. And that's the judgment on Judah and Israel by the Chaldeans. And then subsequently the judgment on the Chaldeans for kind of overdoing it against mm -hmm. Judah. Uh, we've seen that in several other books that we're reading is that Babylon's going to come. They're going to punish Judah, but then Babylon itself will be punished. Um, so when I read this, we're in, um, I'm in the ESV in Habakkuk 1, 4. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth for the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Mm -hmm. I'm reading that as very possibly this is talking about the nation of Judah. This isn't so much the Babylonians. This is Judah has been so far off the rails. God is saying, you know, I I am going to take this thing down to the studs. And and we've read in, in all the other prophets leading up to this that God is accusing Judah of doing this stuff. Uh, chapter two gets into more detail um, of, of what this is. Um, this is this is mostly um, the, the, uh, the 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 doing badly as I read it anyways, is talking about Judah. Hmm. 
Okay. Well, this, that's why Judah is being punished is because they are completely, uh, I mean, there's a few good people. There still are. We've got Habakkuk here. We've got uh, Jeremiah and in, in Babylon, we've got Daniel and there are other people who are definitely for God, but this is why Judah is being taken down. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I can see that. It wasn't the way I was initially looking at it, but like I said, I was, I struggled a little bit with this book. So, and a lot of it was the wording of the new King James. And so it was, I was kind of, I was getting basic concepts, but having a little trouble, like in the very beginning, figuring out exactly who it was directed to. Uh, But it's, you know, it's that age old question of, of why these things are allowed. Why, why, you know, why does this happen? Yeah, I, and, I agree with you, Matt. Not all of this is about Judah, because as it, sh- as it hits verse 5, I think this is talking about the Babylonians. Definitely. Um, sweeping in and, and creating destruction. And Habakkuk is asking the same question, well, how come this is happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, and God's response <laughs> is very interesting in verse 5, and I really love it, because... If, like you say, he is saying, okay, God, why are you lying, allowing all this stuff to happen in Judah? And God comes in and says, watch, and, and you're going to be amazed. He says, I'm going to work in ways that you would not believe, if somebody, even if I were to tell you, which is funny because he's going to tell him right now. <laughs> but it is a, it's a fascinating concept in my mind as well uh, that God is going to use this nation who is, it's not. This isn't a nation that follows God. This isn't a nation that values, at least not yet, maybe later, but it's not a bait nation that values God's values. It's very interesting. It's, it, it is amazing. It's like you said, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe that, that I'm going to do this thing and bring in this other country to uh, make this sweeping change to the people of Judah. It's, it is pretty, uh, it is I don't know. The only word I can come up with is fascinating. But it's on par with the way God works in so many ways and places. See, Habakkuk mm-hmm. asks in um, verses two and three, basically saying, God, why don't you do something? There's so much that's going wrong. Step in and do something. And God says, oh, I, I will in verse five. And, and you won't believe what I will do mm-hmm. and how I will do this. Um. That echoes what we studied as Israel left um, Egypt and moved into the promised land, is that every time that God shows up to do something, he keeps his word, but he does it in a way that nobody can expect. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, I'll part the sea. Oh, I'll drop food from the sky in manna. That's how we'll take care of this. Moses, they run across the water in Mara. You know, it's like, oh, it's bitter water. All right, cut down this tree and throw it in there. It's like that nobody would have guessed that out of the out of the slips of paper in the hat they were going to pull out as a solution. Nobody would have said, "Oh yeah, that's probably what's going to happen." And we'll get it. We I we personally have struggled with that. I don't know about struggled. We've lived through it. Let me say it that way. In our life where we've said, "God, there's this problem that we're struggling with. There's this problem that we're str-. it was my wife's work." And it was not going well, and we were really just, I guess it would be fair to say, agonizing over it in prayer. It was causing trouble in our family. It was it was just really difficult. 
And then one day her group that she belonged to just basically dissolved. It's like, oh, and now you don't have a job. Mm -hmm. We went back to God. It was like, well, that's not what we were thinking. (laughs) (laughs) And so many times the way God shows up and he does things. Now, it turned out for the best for us in our work. Uh, It was a pure process of time. But it sure at the time seemed like, well, that's not actually what we were praying. We were praying for something a little different. And the way God shows up and does this is, you know, Israel is praying for a Messiah. We want a Messiah. We want a Messiah. And as we've talked a lot about, they were thinking temporal, kingly, political. And God says, I'll send you a Messiah. And he sends him this poor, dirt poor child that's judged to be illegitimate who's born in a in a manger you know basically it's a it's a you know cattle stall and then he dies for the nation like that is not what they were thinking was going to happen and it is my opinion that we should be a bit more careful sometimes as we look forward with what we're so sure is going to happen and we're so sure how God's going to unfold everything because that's just not been the way he's operated in the past, you know, and this whole God using um, Babylon is, in fact, it's a it's a puzzle to every one of the prophets that we have studied. I mean, Jeremiah basically just says, I don't get it. You know, this I'm just telling you what God told me kind of a thing. And the people don't like it. He's there saying, you're just not patriotic enough. You're saying we should surrender. This is terrible. And, you know, throw him in jail. But the rest of the prophets are like, what? God, what are you talking about? This is crazy. This is. And as it gets through chapter one here in Habakkuk, it's quite clear that God is going to use this foreign government to come in and do his work. And I, mm-hmm. so it so happens that I was doing parallel reading this week, and I came across Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. If you guys have ever read that before, well, I know you've read it before. We've read through the Bible together before. Mm-hmm. That's the chapter and verses where Paul says you should be subject to the leaders. God has put leaders in place for a purpose, and you're to obey them, which has been a challenge for Christians ever since Paul put those words down. Mm-hmm. It's been a challenge to God's people before Paul, back when Jeremiah said, no, you're supposed to go surrender to the Chaldeans. They've had a very difficult struggle with that because God has said, I'm using, at times, civil, civic leaders to do things. And, you know, we've got this like, well, do we obey? How do we deal with this stuff? Which is not to say that all civic leaders are doing the right thing. But that doesn't mean they are not doing the thing that still fulfills God's purposes. Moses comes to mind. We're reading that story in, in worship. Pharaoh. Pharaoh was not doing God's will. Where was he? Because he was stubbornly showing the children of Israel God's power. Every time he said, no, you can't go. Here came another display of God's power. So it gets complicated. It does. Uh, you know, I mean. Because a question I had on this is how, you know, how does it make you feel or what do you think about basically God working through the means that Habakkuk was complaining about? You know, he's talking about violence 
and plundering and trouble and, you know, all these things. And this is all the stuff that basically Babylon is exhibiting. And this is exactly what God is using to make this correction to Judah. And, uh, yeah, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it. Yeah, I don't know. We've all, you know, down through history, we've questioned certain leaders being in power. You know, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I mean, we can think of guys like Hitler. We can think of guys like Kim Jong-un, you know, and just go, how is it that, how is it that that person is in power because God put them there? And I don't know. I guess we just trust and wait and see down the road uh, what's going to go on. So I I actually had a piece of paper stuck in Romans 13. I was going to bring that up today. And um, one of the parts of it that was interesting to me is where it says, do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and he will commend you for he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant and agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. And it reminded me of, do you remember back in Genesis where God is talking to Abram and he says, you know, here's what's going to happen. And he kind of lays out the future of, of God's chosen people of, of Abraham's downline. You know, here's what's going to happen. You're going to die an old age in peace, having lived a full life. And your people, your descendants after you are going to get taken into captivity. Like this land will be theirs, but not for a while yet. They're going to be taken into captivity. They're going to be in captivity for four generations, and then they're going to come back here. And then he specifically says, because the, what does he say? The, the, uh, the cup, the cup of the Amorites is not full yet. And that's always been a really interesting verse to me. He, he also then specifies that the Israelites, who we know later as the Israelites, will go into captivity in Egypt for these four generations. And that God will punish their captors and he will bring the people out with riches. So it's like this big scale thing. Four generations of Israelites lived through that and never saw the fulfillment of this promise. Abram never saw the fulfillment of this promise. But this is God moving the big chess pieces of the earth. And one of the things that he has to do is work with the Amorites until he can't work with them anymore. So it's an interesting view of why governments do the things that they do. Why pe- why certain, not I guess agencies, I guess, are put in power. Why they're then later taken down. And all of it is moving the earth along towards the point where God can come back. And then down here in the trenches, we're looking around going, wow, this sucks. This is terrible. Like, whose idea was this? This can't be good. You know, and we're crying out, you know, with Habakkuk here, like, how long? How long? See, and this is what was interesting to me is, is they know how long. Yeah, they at this point, they do. 70 years. They know that they have to go and do their their time and, and do their penance for it. And, you know, back in Jeremiah, we were looking at, you know what? Do it. Get it over with. Learn what you need to do. Be refined. But I think it's the age-old human downfall is like, we want it on our time frame. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. hurry up and speed it along. It's super bad. Hurry up. Let's just get it over with. And 
what we've seen here and exactly what everybody is mentioning, God doesn't work on that time frame. And if you think about, you know, God's trying to parent, he's trying to parent the whole earth and, you know, raise everybody up into where they've had a fair chance at getting to know him, getting to make a choice between good and evil, blah, 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 all of the things that we know are happening through the plan of salvation. But just let's just take our podcast, for example. There's four of us. What are the odds that all four of us are ever in the exact same place on the path to Christian maturity at the same time? Mm. You know, and God's not trying to work with four people or four families or four towns or four counties or states or nations. He's got the, the, the whole world that he's fussing with and trying to get it, trying to get things moved around and shifted around to where he can come back, where this thing can culminate, the the iniquity of the Amorites, you know, to to quote whatever book that was, I think it was Exodus, um, you know, the iniquity. No, I think it was Genesis because he was Genesis. making the promise. Yeah, because he was making the promise to Abraham and he, Abram, and he wasn't even Abraham yet, so it was definitely Genesis. You know, where where you know to to paraphrase that, the iniquity of the Amorites becomes full so we can move on to the next phase of, right? Each generation has to learn the lessons. Each person has to learn the lessons. Each family group has to learn the lessons. It's such a uh, it's such a mind-blowing thing to think of the size, just the scope of the job that God is doing. And we're only one planet. Like I have no thought in my head that we're the only planet in the world or in the universe, you know, he's just, you know, he's managing all this. And every once in a while I'm out in public and someone will do something really annoying. I know humans are great and that hardly ever happens, but every once in a while I'll be out in public and someone will do something annoying. And as I'm being annoyed, I will think to myself, Everything about this person's life path is known to God the same way mine's is. And God is working with this person. This is a child of God that is in his own unique place in relationship to God. And God is working with him. And that always sets me back. Because, like, if I don't focus on other people, well, then I automatically focus on myself. And I'm just kind of going around doing my thing. And I'm the center of the universe. And... And every once in a while, a total stranger will catch my eye and I'll and I'll just have this little moment of awakening where I realize that person's personality, character, entire life history, biology, you know, everything about that person is known to God and is it is important. He knows how many hairs are on that person's head. He knew that person before they were conceived. And he is at present in this very moment working with them in their little lifeline to bring them to him if he can. And it's always like this sort of mind numbing moment. And, it, and, it, and I'm telling you, it erases all my annoyance, which is kind of interesting. That's kind of a kind of an interesting side effect of that. But here we have an entire nation facing what they've already been told is their punishment for specific reasons that they know and they're upset like they're getting bent over god's knee and paddled soundly and they don't want to be there how long do we have to be over your knee and be paddled well all right well and it is interesting because that whole second half of that first chapter then is habakkuk just kind of questioning the whole thing you know god why how, this is this doesn't seem like you 
you know, this is stuff that you can't even you can't even look at because you're so good. Right. Um, but once we get into chapter two, Habakkuk's response <laughs> is very interesting. And I think it's maybe a very mature response is the be- is the way I could look at it, where he basically he just says, OK, well, I'm just going to watch. I'm going to see what God says. And he says, I'll answer when I'm corrected. Uh, at least that's the way the the uh, New King James put it. I don't know exactly how others put it, but um, what verse is that? Uh, chapter two, verse one. What? Okay. But he's basically, I'm going to watch and see what happens. Uh, I think it's stops. I think it's cool that he says, I'm going to watch and listen. Yeah. How many times is, do we just roll on without ever making an effort to look or listen? Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think that's a really cool context to where he says, no, I'm going to stand up. And the thing is, is that when it says a watch post, he's actually, that metaphor is like when he sees something, he's supposed to warn others instead of just keep it to himself. That's the context of the location. <laughs> and he's looking. And I, I think that's noble. Like you said, Matt, this is a mature thing. He's saying, I'm actually going to look for what you have to say. I think it's pretty cool because what God says now in in verses two, three and four are oh, and five are pretty much just solid dynamite. Yeah, he tells him to just tells him to write it down, make it plain, uh, you know, don't try to secure it, which uh, I guess, depending on the translation you read, uh, you can you can make a judgment on how how uh, well he um, how well he made it plain. But, um, but just see it, see what's happening, because I'm not, everything is is going to tell you what's exactly going to happen. I had it written down a little bit different in my, and you guys are saying matured. You know, this is a matured approach that he's going to stand by and just, you know, what I'm just going to watch and wait and and see what God reveals. But to me, it's almost like that humbling experience that you know what, I don't know what's going on. I don't know where this is going, but then too, I think not to jump too far ahead, but it's having that faith just to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to watch and see what God does. I could see the maturity part of it, but I could also see just the humility of it to say, you know what, it's out of my hands. Oh, yeah. yeah, agreed. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It sort of changes the context of the first chapter from what we were reading to, from being a complaint to being a, you know what, I don't understand this. But I'll wait and see what's going to happen because I trust God, you know, and that's a that is a very valuable position to be able to take. Well, it could be both. I mean, we went through the book of Job. Job started out with a complaint. And at the end, he's like, all right, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and it does come after God says, just watch. You won't believe it. And so totally makes sense. Yeah. So God talks about a vision for an appointed time and he says it will not tarry. Uh, we've talked about this a lot where God says something is going to happen and it's going to happen when it's supposed to happen. And so don't think, you know, if it feels like it's taking a long time, uh, don't think that it's late. Don't think that it should have happened already. You know, maybe we, we've talked here, you know, a lot of times we're like, okay, God, I'm ready. You can come now. And, but clearly God is not taking our counsel on it because he's hasn't come yet. You know, it's because it's not time. It's It's not time yet. It's not ready yet. And uh, if we're going to have a good, mature or or humble 
a response to that. We just have to go, okay, God, I guess I'll just wait and see what you've got going on. But how about petulant and whiny? Which chapter covers that? Like, is there a place where I get to be petulant and whiny? It's the book of Karen, chapter three, verse 21. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, in for for if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. I found several things as cross-references for that. Because like you said, it does come up a lot. It's in Hebrews 10, 37, 2 Peter 3, 8, Matthew 25, 13, and uh, Zephaniah 1, 14, which is basically the same thing. God says this over and over again. Your time is not my time. Things will happen when they're supposed to. And it goes on and says, behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. That is maybe one of the most famous verses in the Bible. It's one that certainly gets pulled out of our back pockets uh, a lot when um, I guess maybe when we we come across these troubling times and are struggling and we can we can just. Say, well, I guess, you know, I if I'm going to be upright, if I'm going to uh, be on God's side, then I just have to I just have to believe it and I have to uh, just live a life of faith. It's really important because this is cited in Romans 117, Galatians 311 and Hebrews 1038. Now, the story goes, this is the, the, the text that Martin Luther kind of had an epiphany on. It's like, wait a minute. We're Christians. We're not saved by paying the church money or crawling up stairs on our knees or saying repeated phrases. We're saved by faith. And and let, unless we let this skip by and we kind of forget about it, that's Old Testament. We are reading it for the first time in Habakkuk. This isn't a well. In the Old Testament, they lived in you know they they lived by sacrifice and by ceremony, and in the New Testament, we live by faith. This is God talking to the people of Israel way before the Messiah saying, no, it's faith. That's how you live. And it would be easy to forget that that's what all these New Testament authors are referring back to. They're not making it up. They're saying, hey, folks, remember, this is how we're supposed to live, which my point is, is that the Bible has has more continuity with how we're supposed to live than sometimes we think. We think the Old Testament, like, well, that's just full of a bunch of old laws and just useless stuff. I don't know, whatever. We'll just go ahead and skip to the book of John. But these the New Testament things are premised on Old Testament truths that didn't just expire, you know, some vague time before Matthew. Well, the response goes on to talk about, it just says he and... I was having a little struggle talk, knowing exactly who, quote unquote, he is. Is this Nebuchadnezzar? Is this Babylon? Is this like wickedness personified? Is it a little bit of all of it? Because the, the narrative here doesn't really point out specifically who's being talked about. And since so much of it seems to be pointing towards Babylon and not Judah, it seems like it's using... Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar as a uh, like a word picture for something. Yeah, I think as as chapter two unfolds, it is there's there's an interesting verse that's um, sometimes th- thrown around, or I should say, at people. It's uh, Habakkuk two five. Yeah. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man 
who is never at rest. Well, who is that man? I don't know. It's a, like you said, I think it's a metaphor. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death. He never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. This seems to sound like Nebuchadnezzar. But there's an interesting footnote. I don't know about your guys' Bible, but in mine, where it says, moreover, wine is a traitor, it says the Masoretic text and the Dead Sea Scroll says wealth is a traitor. I've heard the the mm-hmm. wine is a traitor thrown around, kind of like yeah, don't don't drink, don't drink. Like that's that's what it's talking about. But we read the rest of the chapter, and the rest of the chapter really seems to call out this ever hungering, kind of like this lusting for wealth, and. Verse six, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. He loads himself with pledges. That's not about drinking. Now, this isn't this isn't a, a, a in praise of wine or drinking. That's not my point. My point is simply to say, I think what's going on here is, is it as it unfolds, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. It's not gain. It's evil gain. He's talking about greed and selfishness. And this is a theme that we saw Isaiah talk about. We saw Amos talk about, and this is a thing that Israel itself and Judah really struggled with. And I would propose that modern Christianity struggles with a lot, too. Is this just more, better, bigger, you know, this prosperity gospel and our job is to become rich? And I think that this warning is, again, like you said, Matt, who is this talking about? Everybody is my take. I think it's one of these poetic metaphors that it's talking about <clears throat> Babylon. It's talking about Judah. It's talking about the Israelites. It's talking about us. You know, we just need to kind of look at this and say, well, is that the direction God wants us to go? And I think it's a warning to, to watch, watch attitudes and then the things that we do as a result of those attitudes. Yes, because it, you know, it goes on talking about how oppressed people will rise up and plunder they'll plunder the one that was plundering them and so this attitude of greed and you know because it does it talks like like an unsatisfiable greed it's a terrible way to go and it will come back to bite you not only Um, that but i mean this sounds i mean like karen said this part of this sounds like revelation and here we are it sounds part of it sounds like ecclesiastes in 13 behold is it not from the lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. It's kind of like, well, what what are you doing all this for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you think about that. You know, you feed stuff into the fire. Is it ever? Is a fire ever satisfied? You know, right. that's that's. Yeah. The, I think that's what it's going for here. Is it's calling out a lot of those these those very human nature ish kind of things that are self centered. And then all of a sudden, in verse fourteen, it's like somebody yanked the steering wheel and it's like. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Mm-hmm. As the waters cover the sea. It's like, it all looks like it's going to be this one thing. Yeah, but just wait for it. it it'll, it'll end up different than it is right now. <laughs> yeah, it'll all shift. Everything, all this greed, all this, all this gross stuff that has been occupying so much of our time and our attention is going to be gone. Because eventually... The knowledge of God will just have increased so much that it just drowns it out, I guess, you could say, where it becomes the only thing of any real importance. Again, we we go through all of the 
the bad things that are going on. And later in chapter two, there's the calling out of the idol makers and literally idolatry. Um, But we have our own type of idolatry today. I mean, maybe we'll put a a house on that uh, on that idol of idolatry, or maybe we'll put uh, uh, family status, or maybe we'll put education, or maybe we'll put money, or maybe we'll put there's there's no end of things that, mm-hmm. that this world has to offer. And then again in verse twenty, God just it just ends it up. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. There's yeah. almost kind of these like shocker kind of things that come at the end where we think it's all heading one way and then all of a sudden the narrative just takes a sharp turn and it always turns to like, yep, yep, it's God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. I mean, there's lots of things there that, that get talked, you know, uh, one of the things that was standing out to me was talking about making your neighbor drunk to look at his nakedness, you know, like, like setting somebody up to. Or, make or fool. yeah, making a fool of them. Um, <laughs> I think we see this in our politics a lot especially election years, but oh all goodness. the, all the time, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, either, either you're like goading somebody on to do something so that you can go, ah, look, look what they did. Look what stupid right, right. thing they did. And the, and, and not, not admitting that you're the one who set it up. You're the one who, who, who orchestrated the whole thing and, 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 uh, shaming them. And, it, you know, it's basically it says it's, you're going to be shamed for what, you have done you this will come out and you know i think we see that like especially with the politics there was one time i said (laughs) i got to the point in an election one time i was like you know what i will vote for the first person who will who will uh tell me why they're good instead of telling me why the other person is bad oh i know (laughs) a friend of mine uh, a friend of mine works for the post office and during election years he's always just like a hand-wringing mess because he carries around these mass flyers of you know, political propaganda for for me in the form of against you, right? Yeah. And he's like, he's like, you know what? I think if I see one more political mailing, I'll be able to make up my mind about what I think. I hope there's <laughs> one more. I was just like, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, but all these idols, they're gonna they'll they'll come to nothing. They'll come to nothing because like it says the Lord is in his holy temple. God is actively ministering on our behalf. He is working for us where our idols really do nothing, nothing at all. Maybe a temporary, you know, our modern day idols, they might give us a little temporary satisfaction. You know, if we put it into the context of tangible things that we like to get, but even that, that's like feeding that fire because this tangible thing is cool right now, but after a while, it's sort of, even if you have it on your wall, you stop, you stop noticing it. And then something else is like, Ooh, I want that thing now, you know, and, and you just keep feeding the fire. This is probably going to tell on my age a little bit. <clears throat> so I'll just preface it by saying I'm 50, but <laughs> the older I get, the more everything that people says sound the same. Yeah. Everybody's head is full of words and they just are just waiting for their moment to get them out. And, you know, maybe they're promoting this point of view or that point of view or themselves, or they're promoting themselves or this person by being against other people. It all starts to look like, you know, the Ecclesiastes is vanity, vanity, all is vanity. 
It just starts to look like that, like there is nothing new under the sun. What chapter are we up to? Same song, second verse, a little bit louder and a little bit worse. You guys remember that song when you were a kid? You can't mm -hmm. ride in my red wagon. Mm, the wheels are broken. One. Yeah, the wheels. Uh, let's see. You can't ride in my red wagon. The wheels are broken and the axle sagging. Same song, second verse, a little bit louder and a little bit worse, right? And so every time you sing it, you sing it. You just get up until you're like shouting this song mm. as loud as you can. And it and it and I think that like I look around the world. And I read these, I mean, these stories on repeat in the Bible, because we're reading it chronologically, we're sort of getting that sense of it. They're exhausting. Like, how has God not just like sent a bunch of lightning bolts and been done with humanity? We're so dumb. We're just these repetitive creatures. And like, we'll be noble for like 10 seconds. And then we're like back to just making noise. And so when I, when I read a verse, like Habakkuk 2.20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. All I can think is, yeah, that puts us all in our place. Mm. And there's nothing left to say. Like all of our posturing and, <clears throat> you know, shenanigans and trading this and whatever. Mm -mm. Just be quiet. God's mm -hmm. on throne, you know, and I think that I think when we're finally faced with that, it's going to just be the most stunning moment of eternity. Mm -hmm. That moment when we actually get a look at that for the first time, all of our all of our childish petulance is just going to go away. OK, whatever you want. Yeah, well, as we step into chapter three, Habakkuk. He has an interesting thing he says here. Lord, I've heard your speech and was afraid. I'm not sure if he's talking about what God has said to Habakkuk that we've just read in chapter two, or if maybe he is referring to some of the things the other prophets have been saying that there is this judgment coming on, that this stuff is going to happen, um, you know, that God's wrath is going to come down, you know, whatever. Um but he's acknowledging, Habakkuk, I should say, is acknowledging that he's aware of it, he's heard it, and he's taking it seriously, which is definitely a shift away from what a lot of these other false prophets were saying, where they were saying, no, this isn't going to happen. We're not going to go to the Babylon. We're not going to, you know, I don't know, the, 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 the opposite of a prosperity gospel, maybe if you will where where it's it's clear it's clear that god has got something happening that isn't necessarily going to be nice we'll call that a grim desolation gospel <laughs> you know you know i mean that's uh that is interesting because i was i was following i didn't i didn't get involved with it but i was sort of following a conversation here a while back on facebook about people people really coming down on prosperity gospel and other people being no, you you you're wrong. You think God wants you to be poor and desolate and and all this stuff. And you know, I'm 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 kind of sitting back and just you know thinking it through. And well, of course, God doesn't want us to be poor and desolate. But at the same time, we're never promised that you know we're going to have great riches and you know our our 401ks are going to be full and we're going to have a giant house and nice cars and and this kind of stuff. I'm pretty sure it says it's harder for a rich man to enter heaven. Yeah. 
than for <laughs> yeah but what's that other verse um the love of money is the root of much much evil all evil yeah the love of money is the root of all evil mm-hmm yeah and so but it, it's interesting to navigate try to navigate that middle get away from the the extremes we're like oh no god wants you to have everything which i you know i think he does yes but but at the other side of other extreme of that is not or the other extreme being no god wants to keep you in your place or something like that i don't know exactly but that that figuring out how to navigate that that middle of that to where you understand that in some instances prosperity is going to is going to work well for me and glorify god and in other ways having a little hardship is going to strengthen me and draw me closer to God, make me, hopefully, I should say, make me reach out to God, whereas maybe I wouldn't if I was, if everything was great, you know, because we as humans, we have a tendency to, when things are good, we stop feeling our need. Uh, I think, Karen, you've talked about, how did you put it? We focus on deficit. How did you put that? This was a few. Oh, needs. Yeah, deficit-based awareness. Yeah. Yeah. So where we only become aware that we need when, that we need something when we only become aware that something is important when we're missing it. Yeah, and so sometimes God has to make us realize that you know what we're missing Him right now, and we don't we haven't noticed it. We haven't noticed it because because our bills are paid because the car is running just fine because work is going great. You know, those sometimes we, we just, we get into our rut and we forget that we still need God to sustain all these things. And we still have to keep him in our focus so that we don't just become self-reliant so that we don't just become greedy. So a, a couple of Bible verses are coming to mind, like in, in uh, revelation, God is talking to one of the churches of Revelation, and he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. He's not yes. talking about, like, he's talking about your character. He's talking about the only thing that you're going to walk into heaven with. Mm -hmm. And then, because I'm the only woman in the room, I have to read uh, Proverbs 31, verse 10. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. See? <laughs> There's more than one way to be successful. <laughs> See, and that's what I was going to mention, too. I think we look at sometimes we we get confused or we get stuck in the worldly things. And, you know, the wealth part could be your health. Wealth part could be having a loving family. You know, the wealth part can be, you know, food, clothing, shelter, where we sometimes get lost in just the monetary how much is in the 401k? How much is in the savings? You know, and I think that's where we get to exactly what Karen was saying, where then all of a sudden it, it's never enough. And then that becomes a deterrent from us getting um, following God. Mm hmm. Well, you know, but on that same note, even those things you just talked about, Tracy, can become a crutch for us okay. if if we start just seeing that everything is good. You know, maybe I don't have a lot of money, but I have a full pantry. Oh, this is great. I'm, fan you know, fantastic. You know, but what happens if the pantry goes a little empty? 
you know, have you have you taken the time to put your reliance on God or have you just been complacent and happy with where you are? Because not everybody wants money. You know, how many times have we said that anything can become that idol for you? Anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that goes into like, where is your focus? Like what we're talking about, like the Jews, when Jesus came, like he's the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of every major promise made throughout the course of the gospel. And they're like, you're going to save us from the Romans, right? Because Mm. that's where their focus was, right? Their focus was on the the horrible reality of the slavery that they were that they were in. And he comes along and says, my kingdom is not of this world. Yeah, I'm a king. I gotcha. But my Mm. kingdom is not of this world. So he requires them to let go of the thing, the temporal thing here and now that they're looking at. Maybe it's your 401. Maybe it's what's parked in your driveway and how much it costs. Maybe it's whether your pantry is full or not. Maybe like we're talking about, it's what's in your savings account or the size of your house or the whatever. There's all kinds of things that that fight to be our idols here. Go Satan. He's a smart dude, right? And in the meantime, God keeps going, look up, look up, look up. I'm up here. I'm the thing that matters. I'm the only thing that matters. All the rest of this goes away. And to, and and as much as it absorbs us, and that's understandable because it takes up our entire lifetime, is the, the realities here, be they, you know, grim or wonderful or whatever, that that is the reality that we that we face. And it's so easy. I mean, is it any wonder the devil uses that to distract us? It's so easy to be distracted from what the real issues are because the real issues are intangible. Like if this stuff is real, if Christianity is real and Jesus is real and Satan and the fall and this whole plan of salvation is real, there is nothing even close to as important as my character in Christ. Right, right. And we have to, if, you know, if we're going to believe in God, then we have to be willing to let him mold that character however he needs to do it. And we don't always like the methods. <laughs> we don't always, you know, uh, we don't always. L- well, sometimes we wonder what the potter just, is doing with the clay. I'll disagree with you, Matt. I'll say, okay, we never like the way God does it. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair <laughs> because we 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 all have our own little idols and he in his wisdom calls us on those idols personally in a very very personal way that's just to us and only we know it he's like if you've been watching this and putting your energy into this i need to take it away from you and yeah. it is it is a it, it, moment moments repeated you know we're repeated sometimes a number of times for some of us where we he wants us the point of this isn't to make us suffer the point of this is to make us turn back to him that is the point i think of 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 israel falling to the syrians it's the point of judah falling to the chaldeans it is so that and this is like the two most important words in god's dealing with us so that, in this case, we turn to God. We say, you're right. Okay, I've been focusing on food or money or status or my Instagram following or you you name it. God has our number. We know what our problem is. He reveals that to us and we struggle with it. We fight it. But 
he ultimately he's doing these things so that we turn to him and say, yes, you are the alpha and the omega and everything in between. And I will wait for you like in uh, chapter two, wait for it. You know, it will happen. And that's what he wants for us, because that was the problem that has been the problem all along. I mean, it was Eve sinned. And then Adam's like, well, I don't think God's going to step in and do anything about this. So I guess I might as well just like, it's a faith thing. All these things are faith things. And we have to decide, are we going to lean into God and let him do his thing as however long it takes, which is, spoiler alert, almost always longer than we want it to. Uh, or are we going to take things into our own hands, which goes back to the very, very beginning of uh, our problems. And it's an ongoing thing. So. 100% agree with what you're saying, Karen and, and Matt, too, that we're God does these things to chastise us for a purpose. We don't like it. Um, we would rather do it a different way. But I have to say, well, God, you do you do know best and often also have to say, now, I'm just going to have to sin. I don't understand what's happening. And by the way, it hurts. And I'd like it to be over sooner than later. But ultimately, yeah, just put it in his hands. You know, how people, individuals and, and or nations or whatever, respond to God's chastisement. You know, we've seen every version of this in the Bible that there is, you know, along the, as we're following the timeline here. And um, and I'm reminded of the time that David went against God's commandment and the prophet came to him and said, well, you're going to be punished. You have a couple of choices of how you're punished. Would you prefer this or this or this, Right. And and David immediately, and this speaks to, you know, one of the great things about David was that he had this soft heart, right? He would get impetuous and he'd go off and he'd do this thing that he wasn't supposed to do. But as soon as you called him on it, he would just be like, oh, no, that was me. Oh, shoot. What did I do? Right. So there was this very honest, um, humble reaction when he would get called on the crap that he had done. And in this case, when he's given options of punishment, he immediately says, I'll take the punishment where my fate lies in God's hand. If I'm to be punished, let me be in the hand of the, the God that I know loves me, is basically the, you know, the paraphrase of his response. And that's always been a very interesting thing to me, because if somebody came to me and said, hey, Karen, You've done this thing wrong. It is a trend in your life, and it is time for you to be punished. Instead of just calling your attention to it, you're actually going to be punished now. How would you like to be punished? This way, this way, or this way, right? Like, and it, and I think it, I think it speaks to David's personal relationship with God that he was given that option, and probably also somewhat his role as king. But you see what I'm getting at? Like, God's building the man, but he's also building the leader of his nation. So there's a couple of things happening there at the same time. And like, what would I do if somebody came to me? The common sense response seems exactly to be what David said. Well, I'll take I'll take the punishment where it, the punishment itself is in God's control. That's the one I'll take. You know, I don't I don't want to embarrass him. I don't want someone else, an, an opponent to God to bring me down. I'll take the one where God is in control of it completely. And I'm safe in his hand the whole time. And so what's happened with Judah here and we know Israel went went before them, you know, they got called out for they got called out for their sins 
And then I think it was in Isaiah where it said, um, you know, uh, Israel's done these horrible, horrible things, and I'm really unhappy with them. But Judah, you watched their example, and then you did it also. Of it, of these two, you should have known better, and instead you followed in your older sister's example. And, and so now it's time for them to be punished. And it's straight up, there's no more options. That's it. You're going to Babylon. Don't even remember what we read a couple of weeks ago. Don't even pray for these people. This is mm-hmm. going to happen. You know, the, the time for negotiation and character building is past. We're not doing it the easy way. We're doing it the hard way. Well, yeah. And then, you know, this whole this whole final chapter is uh, is like Habakkuk's acknowledgement that everything God is doing is good and just and right. And, you know, it's an it's a it's an interesting contrast from the way the book begins where God, uh, where Habakkuk was god how can you do this this doesn't seem like it's in your character um nothing you know none of this makes sense with who i think you are this kind of thing but but now he's he he, he's shifted his perspective to where now he says it's fine it's good it's it, it it's gonna be okay and now he starts talking about some of god's attributes here where you know, he's he's said, OK, you know, I, I was afraid of what you had to say, but he says things like his glory covered the heavens. And I was I was kind of contemplating that that phrase. And I got thinking, what is bigger than the sky? You know, what's bigger than the universe? If, you know, if you use that 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 context of the heavens, you know, when you look out into into the night sky and you know, with the scientific knowledge we have now of how big those little specks out there really are and and understanding that God's glory is bigger than that, bigger than all of that. That's something to contemplate, something that will humble you very quickly if you take any time to really think about it. And he talks about how br- he has brightness like the light. And it was interesting here, brightness like the light, and there his power was hidden. I really was struggling with that phrase, but I think what it's saying is that he's so bright that you really can't see him. You can't even contemplate it. And if, you know, if you think about, oh, when you're driving down the road and somebody has their brights on, you know, you can't see or um, anytime a, a bright light is shining in your face and you can't see past the light to even know what what is shining at you. You know, it's just it's too bright to fully comprehend what's behind it. He looked and startled the nations. Knowing that God is watching makes our leaders uncomfortable. You know, uh, I don't know. It um, should. It should. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it should. You know, I, I looked at this like a lot of different, you know, songs and stuff like that. I think it's, once again, I think it's just reiterating, you know what? I don't know what's going on. I know you're immense power, but I know there's hope. Mm-hmm. I know there's salvation in you. I know your, your ultimate strength. And I think it's that part of, you know what, I'm going to list all the things that are that are causing me to be afraid. But then I'm also going to tr- try to reiterate it back to myself that that God is good and that only you can deliver me or you're my strength and my foundation. That's where I get a lot of a lot of the songs. And to me, it was like it kind of went back to the Psalms with David. It's just like that. I'll reiterate what I know and what I'm feeling to try to justify everything that's going on around me or give me hope in what's in everything that's going on around me. 
Well, and there's a, he, he had a phrase here that I thought was great. You went forth for the salvation of your people. And this is right after he, he, he in, a, in the verse previous to this one, in verse 12, he was talking about God's wrath and or anger and indignation. But then he turns right around and says, you went forth for the salvation of your people, which is, I think, what we've been talking about here, where all of this, all of this stuff that, it, you know, it looks so ugly, it, it makes us uncomfortable we don't necessarily understand how it is that God is working through it, but Habakkuk is recognizing that it's all for the good of his people, for the ultimate good of the people. You know, those moments of discomfort, those moments of struggles and strife that we go through, they're, they're for our ultimate good. And he's recognized that here. And he talks about shaming. Here it seemed like it's almost talking about a wickedness personified. And so it's, it's again, it's like, who are we talking about? Are we talking about Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, Satan, uh, wickedness in general? I think probably the answer to that is yes, all of the above. <laughs> um, but basically, you know, you beheaded wick- wickedness and bared him from head to toe. You know, when we talk about nakedness in the Bible, it's usually talking about shame. I mean, you think about Adam and Eve when they realized they were naked. They realized that they were bared. They realized that uh, there was nothing left for the imagination. Everybody knew exactly, you know, what what was there. And and wickedness is being bared. It's being shamed for what it's done, for what it for what it is. And talks about using the arrows of wickedness to kill his own leaders. I think maybe that's, at least in my mind, that's speaking a little bit here to why God is a, is using Babylon in this case to correct Judah. Because it's like it's it's using the methods that Judah has fallen into to correct Judah. It's almost like here's some of your own medicine. Look at what this has done. Look at what you've brought on yourself. This is what happens. It's just interesting that God is able to utilize those those weapons of the enemy, so to speak, to correct his people and and ultimately bring down that wickedness. That's interesting, too. And he says that, uh, well, he's he's humbled by what what God can do. He says, I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound um, he just talks about how he's completely humbled. His, 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 like his, his bones just go limp and weak, and and um, he's just completely humbled by by God. And he's going to wait patiently to see what happens. He's going to wait patiently for judgment on these people who are going to invade. And his final message here is basically, even if the land is desolate, because this is what's going to happen. Even if the land is desolate and it's producing no crops or it's not sustaining the flocks, I will have joy in the God of my salvation. Even if everything looks bad, even if nothing is looking good, I'm still going to retain that joy in God. And that is a position that would be good for us to try to remember in the times when things don't seem great. Even in our, you know, I think, not everybody goes through big, long periods of struggle and strife, but we do for sure and uh, have the day-to-day struggles, you know, in our work, in our families. Oh, it's like, oh, man, why is everything so crummy right now? 
why you know but remembering to have joy in god and remembering that he's got it all in control it's all under in his hands and it's ultimately for our good uh, i think is a good it's a good way to help us get through those situations well the thing that the thing that i get like you know the takeaway out of a book like this is the same thing for me personally that it was when we read job the person going through the struggle right and so for so for this book it's a nation struggle for job it was a personal struggle you know in the end somebody is going through a struggle and their response to it shows what they've learned where their character's at where their spiritual maturity is at all that stuff and in both of those cases these people stood up questioned god were put in their place and their and their and their ultimate response was i'm going to accept god's plan right mm -hmm. i know that my redeemer lives and in the end i will see him stand upon the earth right like that's mm -hmm. that's job and though he slay me yet will i serve him and, and so i guess the question is you know as all of us are going through our stuff you know our nation the world everything's you know like we can we see these varying levels of stuff going on there's a lot happening right now which is why when i read this book i was like was this was this book written like this year mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and and you know what are we going to learn out of it can god rely on us to not be having a noisy tantrum on the floor because we're not getting our way, but rather to stand up and work with him to, sh you know, help show his character. He's trying to show his character. And, and yeah, to go back to our political thing, sometimes you show your own character in contrast to the, to the enemy. Yeah. Sometimes you do that, <laughs> mm -hmm. but in the end, it's your character that has to stand and we're the witnesses of God's character, Christians on earth. Yeah. God can move the big pieces on the chessboard and stuff like that. But we, the, the functioning Christians going day to day are the, the ongoing witnesses to God's character. And, you know, how are you doing? Are you, are you doing that well? Am I doing that well? So anyway, it's, I like this book. Yeah, I like this book. I learned to like this book once. <laughs> I was, it was, uh, you know, it was only three chapters, but yeah. I had, I had the hardest time getting into it. I mean, it was like, Okay, I sort of get the sweeping concepts, but I'd like to dig in more. And I spent most of the week studying chapter one, just trying to figure out exactly what was happening and what was, you know, what was being said. Uh, but ultimately, I learned to like it because because the overall message was good. So, like the point, the the po the point that he comes to is starts in chapter three, verse sixteen. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us, right? He understands what Judah's place is in this current moment in time. And he understands because God told him that the nation invading will also have their moment where they have to be punished by God, okay? So he's, he's, he's accepting Judah's moment by with with fear and trembling by looking forward to his opponent's moment when they have to answer for the horrible things they're going to do to Judah. So he's accepting both sides of the conflict without letting go of his his national pride and his, you know, all of the things. Right. And um, on the nation invading us. So verse 17, though the fig tree does not bud 
and there are no grapes on the vine, so the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Right? The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Like he comes to grips with it. Yeah. I think that's what I ultimately liked about it because it starts, it starts by acknowledging the questions that we've always asked and that everybody has, has asked throughout history. Why is God allowing these things to happen? This, if God is good, it doesn't seem like these things should, should, should happen. And God's answer is like, well, you wouldn't believe how this is going to work out. And then I was almost going to say Job, Habakkuk's acknowledgement and understanding that God is good. Everything is going to be fine. It's going to work out for the best for God's people. It took me a bit to get to that. It took me a bit to realize that that was exactly what was happening. But overall, the message was it came out pretty clear when I allowed it to and stopped uh stopped worrying about all the the specific wording of everything and uh, just kind of let it wash over me. So that's basically the book of Habakkuk. Well, before we part here, I want to take a moment to uh, acknowledge uh, the works and um, efforts of one of our members here who is going to be departing from us now. Eric has decided that life is pulling him in a different direction. And this is going to be his last episode with us. And while he will be missed, we wish him the best in his endeavors. And I feel, um, I feel rejected. <laughs> just kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> it just came right out. Way to go, Karen. I'm trying <laughs> <laughs> But while I don't, I don't want to say goodbye, we will say farewell. And um, fair winds and following seas. Yeah, and we will uh, we will we will wish him the very best in his further ministries because I I am absolutely certain that Eric will uh, continue to do the very best he knows how with God's leading, and um, yeah, his his presence will be missed here. So uh, Eric, thank you for the time that you have put with us. It's been a lot of dedication for 110 episodes, if you could believe that, and uh, but uh, yeah, I very much appreciate it, and I think our our listeners too. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. And, and you know, like I said before, it's not necessarily the last time I will join you all. It's just um, as a regular weekly thing. And yeah, there are some other things that I feel uh, called towards. And I feel it's more important to do them than talk about them. Once I do them, I'll talk about them. <laughs> you guys know. Um, but yeah, I do feel called to some other areas of um, of reaching out. And it's a season of searching and um and so on for me too and i understand these bible writers when they talk about like i'm not really sure exactly what's coming next um i live that reality too it's been a lot of fun and it's been for listeners who may have joined us later it's been two years we've been at this all over two years now and this is not the first time we have read through the Bible together we were part of a bible study group where we read the entire bible not chronologically we read it in one year and it was met. a whirlwind that was good stuff we met weekly and basically our agenda then was read the readings for the week and come together and we'll just discuss stuff there was something from the old testament something from the 
the uh, uh, poetic books and something from the New Testament. In fact, we read through the New Testament twice during that time, the entire Old Testament once. And so, yeah, when Karen says whirlwind, that was it wasn't as, it wasn't like a book a week, but it was about what four or five chapters a day. Mm-hmm. But the, when we got together for a week to discuss it, there were a lot of chapters to cover. So we've done this before. Um, we are, in fact, friends, and we'll stay friends. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Um, I will continue to stay in touch with uh, each of you individually and as a group. So thank you very much. Yeah. No. Thank you. And yeah, we don't say goodbye. We say farewell because uh, we know that you're you uh, you are welcome back anytime, if cool. <laughs> anytime at all. So uh, very much. Thank you. Thank you for your for uh, your dedication to that. Well, we'll now, what you do now and who, who you who you get on board, I, that'd be interesting. Yeah. We're going to yeah. run a political campaign and mail have everybody mail out brochures about how horrible the other options are. It's <laughs> going to be like you that. The thing is you can't bash the other person. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be interesting, won't it? <laughs> well, for the rest of us, as we continue on down this journey... Uh, Next week, we are going to be reading Jeremiah chapters 41 through 44. Uh, We're starting to narrow in on the end of Jeremiah. We've got a few weeks here. But next week will be Jeremiah chapters 41 through 44. While you are waiting for that, remember that you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. You can search us up on Facebook. Please be sure to remember to share the podcast with your friends and family and neighbors and relatives. I guess that's family, isn't it? And uh, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so that we reach you in your feed each and every week. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening. We could do Indian leg wrestling. <laughs> We're just gonna... creative with the ways to solve this sort of selection process, and and it would at the very least be very entertaining. <laughs> Arm wrestling contest. Yeah. Indian leg wrestling. Haven't heard That's that. what I'm saying. Indian <laughs> wrestling. I want to see potato sack races. <laughs> I don't know. At our age, you're just asking for a torn hamstring at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe this will be the opportunity for a younger person to win out. <laughs> we can get or some of that more flexible person, one or the other. Yeah, maybe we can get some of that coveted eighteen to thirty uh, demographic that that Hollywood yeah. is always looking for. Yeah, no, that's yeah. okay. <laughs>